Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Ron. I have so been looking forward to this because we have talked so often about the ability of people to change or the willingness to change uh, that we agreed that would make for a really great topic for our listeners. So, willingness to change. And I believe you have an example you'd like to share, right? I do. Uh, Recently, I had a client who was so frustrated with her sister uh, that uh, the sister is, as the client described it to me, she's 100 pounds overweight. She's in a job that she hates. Um, she's kind of miserable with her life. And in spite of all that, the frustration with my client was the sister wouldn't change. And no matter how much my client encourages her, advises her, listens to her, the sister won't change. And... um you know, and obviously with coaching clients, it's not just client sisters. Often um, clients and even I experience the same myself where there's a, a, a resistance to doing the work that it takes to change. So I think it's a fabulous topic and I think we're surrounded by it um, in so many different ways. So is that what you had in mind, Ron? That's perfect, and you used a, you used a word that I think is a great entry point. You used the word resistance. That mm-hmm. for some reason or another, despite yeah, like in this instance, you're, you're you're sharing where where someone, and this is the story of me and my clients too. There's this great reason to want to change, and perhaps willingness, perhaps not. I guess that's up for debate. But there's clearly resistance, right? There's clearly resistance. So what does the resistance what does the resistance tell you? Ah, I think resistance comes from a lot of different places. Um yeah. one place uh, and I think a lot of it goes back to just a sort of a fundamental thing that we do with and to ourselves, which is tell ourselves stories. And that mm-hmm. story can be a story about our identity. Um, like I'm, I, I'm not good at change. I hear that a lot. I'm just not good at change. And, uh, and often what I'll do then is I'll ask the client about a place where they have changed, you know, where they have taken on a skill or something and, and help them recognize that they are good at change. Um, and another one I think is we tell ourselves stories that it's hard. You know, the, the traditional diet kind of thing. I'm depriving myself or, um, you know, they, when I, I think many people create resistance by creating a story about how hard it's going to be. Um, so I think resistance can come from there. Um, and I, and I think too that, um, a big part of, uh, of, any set of behaviors is who we believe ourselves to be, um, our identity of ourselves, and um, and our, our perception of what we can and can't do. So that that's what I see as just some of the key um, reasons for resistance or or not changing when we have good reason to. Um, so what do you think of those and what's been your, what's your addition to that list? Well, I actually see the story piece and, uh, and what I label the self-concept, the, the identity that you described. I see them as intertwined quite often. 
that, uh, you know, I've got this, this sense of who I am. Um, and in many cases, it's unconscious. We don't, you know, there's a, there's that deal about how we think we know ourselves, but maybe we really don't. But if we ask others, maybe they know us better than we do ourselves because they can see us. Um, and so I, I often find the story and the self-concept intertwine. So, for example, let's say that this idea that change is hard, the story that you were alluding to, that's one good story I run into, that could easily be intertwined with this this idea that I'm the kind of person who's not able, which is a self-concept issue. And so when I add together change is hard and I'm not the kind of person who's able, I get a really powerful and oftentimes unconscious drag or what we had just labeled resistance that keeps me from being able to act in my own best interest. Does that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It absolutely does. And, boy, if anything starts to drag on our energy, we don't have the energy to follow through on it. <laughs> so we need to add energy, not take it away in the process of change. Well, and, and so isn't some of this habituation, too? I mean, I know we talk a lot about, you know, neural pathways and, and neuroplasticity and the ability to change, but uh, simplify it by calling it habituation. I mean, we the ego itself keeps us consistent. That's probably a pretty good word for it. It keeps us consistent from day to day. And so if if using your client example, your client's sister, if, if, if I'm a person who manages my day and my discouragement uh, and my low sense of esteem by eating things that are pleasurable, and if I do that, I don't know, 20 years, 25, 30 years, it becomes pretty habituated, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is. Neural pathways and, um, you know, it, it, part of the reason that we have that the human species has survived so well is we have such a powerful um, unconscious capability. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, once we turn something over to habit, it just happens magically. <laughs> Talk about easy. <laughs> it's really easy to do the same thing. <laughs> I remember talking with this with my longtime mentor, Sam, we were talking about this very, <clears throat> this very, rea- this reality. And he said, um, <clears throat> "Excuse me." He said, uh, "He said, yeah, Ron. One day I came out of the out of the convenience store. I got some gas and I'm driving away. And I looked down and I have a Milky Way bar and I've taken two bites. And I don't remember buying the Milky Way bar and I don't remember eating the two bites." <laughs> and I mm. thought, boy, that's like the epitome of habituation. We don't even know we're doing. It. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's like it's like a it's like an operating program within us that we don't have any access to for no awareness of I guess yeah mm-hmm. yeah so, mm-hmm. so 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 the funny part about this though is so there's this this idea that maybe I ought to do differently or should or maybe it would be good for me to do differently and, and, and so on the one hand there seems to be no ability to act upon it. Except that there are these wonderful examples where people all of a sudden do a 180. I mean, they literally turn it around. 
So, so what's going on there in your practice, Karen? What, what's the difference between the, the wannabes, which I don't say in a self-deprecate, I'm not, uh, I'm not dissing those folks. It's just an acknowledgement. The wannabes versus those who find some traction for behavioral change. What, what do you see with your folks? Yeah, there's that, that proverbial, you know, we change because of pain or pleasure. And, um, and, you know, to be honest, I have found that people change because of pain, but not necessarily permanently. I mean, we all know those people who have a heart attack and they clean up their diet and exercise for, oh, about three months and then begin to drift back to those old patterns. So where I really see the the transformation is i i would say more on what you might call the pleasure side you know the reason why to change but also when you called it self con uh, self concept earlier when the self concept changes and I, I recently did uh, coach training where a lot of people um, had breakthroughs in shifting their perceptions of self and their willingness to let the real self come out. And that's where I see the biggest transformation. Uh, I mentioned before when um, when I can help someone who says, I'm not good at change, and mm-hmm. help them see that they are, or that they're powerful, or, you know, that they're lovable, or whatever it is, that's, that's when I see change happen the most. But I'll give you a really quick example, and this was for a little girl, but it's the reminder of how powerful we are when we change our stories. Um, this is a client's little girl who was, I think, about eight or nine at the time, and um, she was awful in math. And um, the the client was just really frustrated. He said, "She's she's a smart girl. She does well in all the other subjects. There's just something about math." And after exploring to make sure that, you know, his story was accurate, um, I had the idea, you know, at, at that age, kids think their their parents are magical still <laughs> before they get skeptical. <laughs> and um, so I said, cast a spell on her um, and um, make her, you know, give her these magical math powers in whatever way is, is appropriate and right for mm-hmm. you and for her. And he came back to the next coaching call, and um, she called herself a math diva or something. So she came up with her <laughs> with her own name. Her math scores skyrocketed. She did great in a one of those standardized tests. She did beautifully in math. Mm-hmm. All in just a matter of a couple of weeks. How it was mm. amazing how quickly, once she no longer had the story that she wasn't good at math, and and so I think that is a great example. You know, we all love Cinderella, or you know, in any mm-hmm. of those um, characters where the 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 seemingly weak or downtrodden character suddenly gains you know power or the life they always wanted, and that really is possible for us. I see it happen over and over and over again. 
and I guess and after this long ramble, I would say it's it's not because we specifically change our behaviors, but it's because we get to the essence of who we are and really appreciate and embody who we are at the deepest level. So I'll flip it back to you, Ron, and pull out whatever you want out of that long ramble. Sure. Well, uh, first, it wasn't that long a ramble, but there's a lot of is a good is a good uh, is is a, is a very good story. And what I like with what you were doing there, which jives with what I have seen, is behavior is just like symptomology. Uh, we behave in ways that are consistent with whatever our inner values are, which are aligned with our self concept. And so, just like if you wanted to treat an illness. You have to get at the underlying cause, so too with behavior. And so uh, what I hear is this this exploration of self-concept, of how we identify ourselves, of how we believe ourselves to be, and of what we most value. Uh, because the outer is a mirror of the inner, and it, frankly, that's the only way you can explain why otherwise capable people are incapable of making behavioral change, which is the story of many, many, many capable, talented people in the inability to alter some outer behavioral issue. Uh, and so I like what you described in this, let's, let's burrow down and, and, and let's see what's in there. Or in the case of the little girl, let's just reframe the issue. Uh, I do like math diva, by the way. That's like really, that's really precious. <laughs> so this idea of, of of my my outer life being an expression of my inner identity, my inner values, my inner self concept, and then and then taking a look at that inner self concept and finding out where both the pleasure and pain reside, because they are what they are what they are what push us forward or keep us static. So, I, I, as much as I appreciate people's desire to just change their behavior, I I don't often see any success with outer behavioral change unless it is consistently enforced by something. Um, and, and so we're left to look more deeply and find out what's motivating us or what is not. Well, I guess there's always something motivating us. Does that does that make sense, or did I, did I just mm-hmm. match your ram? Your ramble with my ramble. <laughs> so, so I think of um, like what what I hear from you is you know we have to understand the inner, and when we shift the inner, then we change the outer. Right, um, right. And so what we what we have to do is is um, I guess I might I might use the metaphor of popping the hood, you know, getting mm-hmm. underneath. And, and looking at what our operating system is inside. Mm, that is a beautiful metaphor. Do you have tips and techniques for how to get a look at what's under the hood? I've got a few, but I'd love to hear what yours are. Oh, well, I'll, I'll get it started, and we can certainly explore your your list too. Uh, you know, and, and everything. Uh, I think goes back. You you mentioned values, which I think are incredibly important to know, and ultimately beliefs. So what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the world. Um, so so you mentioned, you know, if I'm if if these these habits that you were referring to, those habits are based on beliefs, and we have a whole belief structure around 
who we are, what we do because of that habitual pattern. So I guess uh, the, the first thing that I would suggest looking at is what are the beliefs that you have about um, yourself, this behavior that you're wanting to change, um, beliefs about getting support, because that's one of the things that uh, I think is incredibly important and, and why I always... Um, my heart goes out to the people who are unwilling to accept the the help of those around them. So um, I, I would say beliefs are, are we need to explore, and then values. What's important to us? And often people will do more for others than they will do for themselves. So, for example, that um, sister who was 100 pounds overweight, she's jeopardizing her own life, but if she believed that with every bite that's keeping her overweight, if she were jeopardizing the life of a loved one, her husband, her sister, whomever, I think you would see a change in behaviors there, too, by getting to what she values most. And, and certainly there are some ways to journal that, flush it out, uh, do exercises, that kind of thing. And that's obviously what coaching is all about, too. Sure. Um, so those are my first few thoughts. How about you? You said you had some ideas, too. Yeah, um, a couple that I will add to what you've said, in addition to this, you know, self-behavior, um, how we are supported and values. I also like to look at how shame and guilt hold things together. Uh, we often don't understand our beliefs, our perceptions about those, and yet oftentimes they bind it together. And then I'm also real fond of asking people to take a logical approach and say, okay, so if this is, if it's true that the outer is an expression of the inner, then, then what would this outer behavior what would it perhaps tell us about what's on the inside that we may or may not know about? Because sometimes we can't, it's that iceberg metaphor. There's things underneath there we can't look at, but we may be able to infer them in a way that helps us gain some insight about ourselves. And what I have found to be a very, very powerful tonic for change is to gain some insight on ourselves, the proverbial aha moments. Uh, where I like to call them seeing true moments where you go, oh, wow. In fact, I was just doing some, some work with a woman just a couple weeks ago who we actually did a light regression technique, took her back to her childhood and found out that she got, and her words are, she got yoked early on to being responsible for people. And yoke is such a powerful visual analogy like the yoke on an oxen. Mm-hmm. And and uh, all of a sudden she goes, oh wow, that explains everything. And mm-hmm. it was just some it was some insight that was missing. That with the insight, all of a sudden she's experiencing behavioral change because she's she's seen herself and her behavior in a new light that changes everything. And by the way, it's a non-judgmental light. She's not got any shame or guilt about it. She's got clarity. So those are a few tips I've got. I was wondering if you have any closing thoughts, Karen, before I sort of wrap this thing up and we move on and let our listeners move on. Do you have additional thoughts that need to be added? 
not additional, but I wanted to reflect on the two techniques that you shared, Ron, about mm-hmm. using both emotions and logic. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that's really powerful because often we we know what to do, we don't do it. Um, mm-hmm. So I like that you use logic to to back in, like reverse engineer <laughs> the the belief system that must be happening. That's great logic, but logic alone often doesn't get us where we want to go. And that that power of emotion and shifting the emotions, because if if you're living in the same emotions day to day, I believe you will exhibit the same behaviors day to day. And so when we get out of shame and guilt or stop using that as our default go-to to beat ourselves up, I think that's really powerful. So I just wanted to highlight that for our listeners, that that if we, if we only look at emotion or we only look at logic, we're missing a piece of the puzzle. I think we need to look at both. So thank you for adding that, Ron. Yeah, well, when you when you sort of connect the dots here, so what we've said is that it's not as simple as a behavioral change, that there's some kind of resistance, a story, a concept, etc., and that the outer is a reflection of the inner. So a big piece of the change is not about behavioral change, although there's a lot of value in practicing it, but really to get down to the beliefs about ourselves, the behavior, um, how we do or don't accept support, what we value, the emotional components, the logic, eventually needing what we would hope to some kind of a breakthrough in our self-awareness, in our insight, which then makes it possible to change. Uh, and I will, I will say that the, the most compelling stories I have are where the change becomes really fairly effortless because some inner perception has been altered profoundly. Uh, does that mm-hmm. does that make sense? From is that a, is that a good kind of summary point about it's really effortless, or do you have something else to add to that before we wrap? I I love that, and I'll also throw it out to our listeners that even if it's not effortless initially, don't use that to beat yourself up. <laughs> 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 yeah, and create yeah. a story around that because uh, some it is effortless when you allow yourself to be out of the struggle, and and so um, I I was hearing how how it could be taken as if it's not effortless for me then I must be doing something wrong. And, uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's that's good in, that's good insight, Karen. Yeah. <laughs> And so however our listeners do it for themselves, I, I totally agree with you, Ron, that, that when we when we shed the beliefs and the and the stories and the self concept that no longer serve, then it is easy. But sometimes the process of shedding that does take some work. So um thank yeah, you for well, a wonderful discussion on willingness. It was great fun, Karen. Look forward to our next chat. Have a good day. Mm-hmm. You too. You too.